Now then, welcome back, Sadders, to another episode of the Sitcom Archive Deep Dive Overdrive with me, Eggs Benedict. And me, Alison Barton-Simmons. Hello, Al. Hi. Did you have a nice holiday? It was wonderful. Were you a bit gutted at missing out on talking to Will Bates, though? I was very gutted, actually, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't have taken all my stuff with me, so I have to just sit that one out. No, never mind. We might have another former cast member talking to us in a week or so. Yeah. So maybe I'll take the back seat on that one. I'll try not to go on holiday by mistake. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I might be away. <laughs> I might... <laughs> it might be for the best. <laughs> yeah. So we we won't drop any we won't drop any hints. But it hope I mean all the men are practically dead apart from the one we spoke to. So um, it's obviously going to be one of the women who was in Dear John. So you know, work it out. But. Uh, we're now midway through the second series of Dear John, and this week's episode was broadcast on the 5th of October 1987, and it was Series 2, Episode 5, and it was entitled Torquay. Yeah, I, I got slightly excited at the prospect of um, it being on... On on, on, um, on location? On location in Torquay, yeah. but it just leads you up a, a, a false garden path, really, doesn't it? It's a misnomer of a title, because nothing... Happens in Turkey at all, no, in it, does it? It's just briefly hinted at. Yeah. It should have just been called The Boozer as Usual. <laughs> so, if you want to watch this episode, it's no longer being shown on Forces TV, unless I'm mistaken, because I'm not in the UK and I don't keep up on these things. So, maybe it is, but um, it's not on Daily Motion either. So, if you join our Facebook group, which you'll find by searching for Sado Podcast on Facebook, then we post it in there and you'll be able to watch it in there if you want to. Watch the episode before you listen to us talk about the episode. And if that's the case, go away and come back and we'll wait for you. Yeah. How many people watch this one, Al? Do you know? I think I wrote it down somewhere. I don't I don't know. I've not been able to find these. I know you have. 12.5 million people watched it. So that's not bad, is it? That's still sounds good a, Sounds figures, a lot to me. That's still good figures. Yeah, pretty good. Even for the 80s. And talking of um, ratings... We're prone to getting the odd rating for our podcast, and we got an amusing one this week, didn't we? An amusing review. We did. Yeah, it, it feels like something for a long time ago as well that was mentioned. Yeah, somebody had obviously been listening to the Good Life episodes, and the review was four stars. Entertaining and a good listen. This is a good listen and nice to remember sitcoms of yesteryear. The podcast is slightly spoiled by the unnecessary swearing and unfunny jokes about children's <laughs> about using children's electric toothbrushes as vibrators. If you can bear that, then enjoy. I thought, I thought, <laughs> I mean, not four stars, that's four out of five, despite the, the mucky nature of the content. Yeah, <laughs> despite us being disgusting. Yeah, we had another one uh, a while ago, it was a one star one that made me laugh. It was one star, was it, this one? Uh, this one was one star. Okay. Started poorly and then nosedived. Oh dear. Promises more than it delivers, the patronising tone, swearing and factual errors slowly become tiresome and annoying. Wow, I can't imagine. I can't. I, I. I don't think if something bothered me that much, I, I'd just stop doing it. <laughs> there was a really early on. There was a guy who listened to all of our episodes in the on the Good Life. Mm. Well, like maybe the whole of the first series of the Good Life. And after every new episode, the following day, he emailed us to tell us how much he hated it. Yes, I remember this. I remember <laughs> this. It was just like a series of, of of pretty much the same email, weren't it? Every week. Yeah, just moaning about the same things. Yeah. Crudity seems to be the main thing. Yeah. We're, I mean, we're fairly thick-skinned, and I just but I just find them amusing. They make me laugh. But it's it's so... What I don't get is the people who just want to, like, keep telling you how much they hate it, as if, like, well, what? 
I think I understand that you don't like this thing. It's hard, isn't it? There's, there's, there's a million other things to go and do if you if you don't if you don't like it because we're not for everyone. Yeah, we're not we're not reading these out because we're sore about it. We just find it funny. <laughs> yeah. If you want to leave us a review, good or bad, well, if it's bad, make it comically bad. Yeah. Go nuts about us. But otherwise, leave us a nice review or whatever you want to do. We don't really care. We might read it out if it's amusing. The other thing that I've been doing that's been upsetting people this week, or in fact, for the last month or so, do you know that type of meme, Al, that's quite popular now where people post a picture like saying, happy birthday or today is the anniversary of so-and-so's death yeah and they post a picture of them that's not actually them it's someone who another celebrity who looks like them who looks a bit like him yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's quite a popular meme to do eh? it is so i started i you know because i'm basically just a whore so i started doing these <laughs> thinking, we'll get some likes for this and you know i've done lots of them mm. um I'm, I'm trying to think of some of the other one, some of the older ones that i did i did one that really upset people where i, I did happy birthday to Harry H. Corbett, and I posted a picture of Harry Corbett from Sutty. <laughs> and we'd just mentioned Sutty. We'd mentioned Sutty in the um, in the episode that we'd just... Oh, yeah, Mrs. Lemensky. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Sutty was a big player in that episode. Yes. Well, people lose their minds, particularly on Facebook. Right. This is not Harry H. Corbett. <laughs> pointing out that it's not them. <laughs> Honestly, the, the engagement on it from people t- saying, this is not who you're saying it is tricks the algorithm into thinking it's popular content and we just get tons and tons of impressions and then I invite them to oh. like the page and some of them turn into listeners of the podcast. So wow. it's almost like guerrilla marketing by accident. So people point out that it's not the person that you're saying it that it is it, as a joke? Exactly, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and they say, right. like, some of, the, some of them get really offended. Harry H. Corbett added the H so he wouldn't get misunderstood <laughs> to be this guy and now you've done it, you fucking idiot. <laughs> wow, right. That's unexpected. Well, yeah, again, why? what a strange thing to get so upset about, eh? I've done lots of these things. I did one where it was like, um, happy birthday to Rutger Howe, and it was just a picture of Chris Tarrant. <laughs> I did another one last week, yeah. um, which particularly, uh, I posted it to a Facebook group, and they all went absolutely apeshit, because what it was was, happy birthday to Brian Glover who would have right. been such and such an age today. But instead of Brian Glover, I posted a picture of John Savident, who played Fred the Butcher. <laughs> I saw this one. I saw this. I say Fred the Butcher in Coronation Street. And, uh, you know, it's not the wittiest or cleverest joke in the world. I'm not trying to say it is. But it just, the anger that it causes, all the comments, there was like about 500 comments. I mean, there are people as well who are just hitting the laugh emo- emoticon. and Yeah. This is not Brian Clover. That is not Brian Glover. Got the wrong name. Divvy. <laughs> God bless him and may he rest in peace. But but the the, the joke, I, I, don't, I didn't think the joke would need explaining. Does it need, what? I don't get it. Well, it, I think it was April uh, April the 2nd I did okay. it. And people, people going, April's Fools was yesterday for fuck's sake. <laughs> you, know, you get people saying things like, I can't believe some people don't get it. I say, I can't believe some people right. don't get it. Yeah. But then... Uh, that's Fred, Fred Elliot, not Brian Glover. What is this all about? What? Not very funny, as he's still old, but as he's old, but still going. You missed April Fool's Day, you fucking idiot. <laughs> you fucking idiot. You got your pictures horrendously mixed up, fixed it, followed by 24 hours later. Oh dear, you still haven't edited your post. <laughs> oh, wow. 
So it doesn't land with certain people then? No, and like I say, it's not the funniest thing in the world, but it just gets them so mad, which yeah. is, I mean, I, I guess that makes me a troll for keeping on doing it. But, it, it, but when it's unexpected, because it is just like a, a little thing, isn't it? It wasn't supposed to be some big, grand, humorous gesture. Well, I did, um, for the Harry H. Corbett one, <laughs> as it turned out when everyone was moaning, the following day was the anniversary of Wilfred Bramble's death. Okay. So I posted a picture of Phil Neville saying, sorry about yesterday's mix-up. <laughs> it's uh, Albert's, Albert Steptoe's birthday today. Let's just concentrate on celebrating that. And the first reply to that was, stop posting this offensive crap. Oh, wow. Well, there you are. You've been told. You've been told. Eh? I just find it amusing. And um, I would like actually like to hear from our listeners, maybe in our Facebook group, yeah. if you've had similar experiences of people getting mad about unreasonable things. You know, what's, what is an example or what's the best example you might have of somebody getting so riled up about something that just doesn't matter and is so unimportant? Send them in because I'm intrigued by this mindset. So this week I have, it's a, it's quite a, a, a micro quiz, I'll call it. It's a, okay. it's a, like a true or false four question quiz. Would you like to have a crack at it? I certainly will. Is it like sort of like a would I lie to you type? Kind thing, of, it? yeah, it is. There's, there's, I, I don't because I've written them. I don't know how obvious or not they are. Okay, but it, it's fifty fifty. It's true or false. So you know you, you can't really lose. Question one: Are you ready? Yes. UK-based bath bomb producers Lush mm-hmm. have a line of scented products called Dear John. Featuring notes of cedar and coriander. I thought you were going to say notes from ex wives <laughs> of the husband, isn't it? <laughs> imagine that. Imagine that was the thing that you could do. Just like write a dear John letter, but to soften the blow, you you put something from Lush to go with it. A dear John bath bomb. Yeah. In the bath, it just floats out. <laughs> well, you oh, let all the anger dissipate, and yeah, <laughs> there it is in black and white in front of you. I think that's false. I think you've made that up. I've not made that up. There really is a line wow. of products. I think it's a perfume and a, a bath, a bath bomb or a, um, a bubble bar. That's another thing that you can get from Lush. Right. Called Dear John. Hmm. Well, we'll have to see if we can get one and give it away as a Christmas prize. It's you? just beige. It's just all beige. Well, like John's jacket that he wears. <laughs> just beige bubbles. Yeah. Oh well, not a good start. No. Well, you had, you had a, you had a crack. But it all melts. There's like a dicky bow in the middle. <laughs> okay, number two. You might get this one. The two cast members still alive from the main five of Dear John yeah. have both appeared in the BBC daytime drama Doctors. Yes, they both have, yeah. Yes, they have. Belinda Lang played Anne-Marie Cavendish in 2008 and Rachel Bell who was Louise, is Eve Haskey since 2017. She still pops up every now and again. She was in, I think, the other week. Yeah. She doesn't discuss sexual problems, though, does she? No, she doesn't. She's a totally different character. She's She's got Alzheimer's and she went, she went missing the other week. And her son, who was mm. one of the doctors in Doctors, was panicking, grief-stricken. Okay, number three. Yep. Peter Blake who we know as Kirk St. Moritz. 
Blakey. Blake, yeah, good old Blake. That's what that's what that's what Will Bates told us. That Did I know you haven't listened to. Blakey. Yeah. Oh. Blakey is what they called him. Yeah. Oh, I hate you, Bella. <laughs> Peter Blake played Frankenfurter in the Rocky Horror Show more than a thousand times. But when he first auditioned in 1974, producers encouraged him to read for the role of Nerdy Brad rather than the sexy Frank. And when he told John Sullivan this, who wrote Dear John, John wanted to utilise this character and wrote the Eric Morris alter ego for him. That sounds totally believable. But I'd be surprised if I'd not come across that snippet of information before. But I'm going to go with yes. You think that's true? Hmm. It's false. I made it up. Oh, what a great lie, though. That was so convincing, even though I'd not heard anything like that. I just thought, yeah, I that sounds like... I kind of believed like... it myself when I wrote it. Because you could see wow. that happening. You master manipulator. I am. See? <laughs> Secrets. Damn it. I okay. wish it was true, because it would be a great story, wouldn't it? It would, wouldn't it? And you can sort of see that that, that kind of character would come out of him, him reading for, for, for Brad in, in the Rocky Horror Show. If we said that enough times on social media, it would become law. It would, wouldn't it? Let's push it. Bloody yark at you, Joseph Goebbels. <laughs> <laughs> Lie until they believe it. <laughs> Let's push that. No, someone will tell you. Someone will come on and go, uh, I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong, Ben. <laughs> you fucker. <laughs> you fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the final one. So, so far we are on, you've got one so far out of three. Okay. And finally... On local ITV network Meridian in 1988, Rachel Bell briefly resumed her role of Louise in a TV advert for women's clothing store principles. God, I really want this to be true as well. So much. So much. See, I could I could say, oh, I would have heard of this and say false in the opposite way. Because local TV networks, you don't see it, do you? You don't see it up in the northwest. Okay. All right, then. True. It's false. Made it up. You made it up. Yeah. You little tinker. <laughs> you little tinker. You've got me believing these because I want to believe them. Uh, yeah, that's, that's what's it. happening. Yeah. In my head, I could see that. I could see it happening. You know, like when you see old adverts from from like really yeah. local news news areas. Yeah. I see, her. I could see her popping up in a Louise wardrobe for principles. You know, if you told me now that Peter Denyer was advertising motorcycle combination wear, would I would it? believe it straight away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm quite pleased with my uh, my, my Frankenfurter slash Brad one. Yeah, I don't know where they came from. You're a dangerous, manipulative liar. I am, I That's am what you are. Fucking liar. <laughs> don't but, swear. You'll lose. You'll lose listeners. Yeah. I know. Sorry. 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 I had to bleep out the c word the other week because I, I in our first two episodes ever I said it quite blasé. Yeah. Didn't I? And I've got out the habit now, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> Probably for the best. It's. Um. I think it is a. Particularly. Irksome word. Irks, yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. Uh, let's get stuck into this episode, which was, as we said, Series 2, Episode 5, Torquay. Dear John, dear John, by the time you read this life, I'll be gone. Life goes on. John. Seems we've sung 
So this one starts in the boozer that they often go to after the one-to-one club meetings. Yes. John is sat on his own at the bar, just enjoying a pint, kind of in the snug, isn't he? Yeah. I, 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 John's very mustard in this episode. Mm. He's got, he's got he his mustard time, jacket on. But I do, I do think that 70s pubs just look that colour. Is it like because of nicotine? You know, like nicotine stained yeah. walls? Fagnolia. Yeah. I think they call it. Fagnolia. And it's all, everything's very yellow. I think this pub is quite reminiscent of the Nag's Head, to be honest. Uh, it, could, it could be interchangeable with the Nag's yes, Head, it really. Yes, that's true. But it, it, he's at the bar and he spots Ken across the pub at a table, talking to himself like a madman, doesn't he? Yeah. So Ken's Ken's in it and immediately I'm like, oh, fucking hell, Ken. No, Ken's back. So John goes over. Ken says he's only drinking there because he didn't think John went to that pub, which is a bit kicking the balls. Yeah. Uh, he says, oh, Maggie and I have just been um, shopping. And you think, oh, yeah, you're bullshitting here. Something's mm. going on. I thought marriage guidance initially, did you? Like counselling. Yeah. So that he didn't want to, to sort of divulge to, to John because he just looked really sneaky and really... Mm. That's just his character, he maybe. He is. He's just a weasel, isn't he? He's just a weasely character. John and Liz have been away together, John John reveals. He says it was great, and Ken is jealous. You know, he's not happy for his friend. He's just an obnoxious narcissist. And John says he was sensational, apparently, according to the review he got from Liz. It wasn't a negative review (laughs) like we've been getting. Started bad and went downhill from there, John. Cunnilingus was subpar at best. Dear. But uh, apparently what happened, though, was Liz met someone else at the hotel in Torquay halfway through their break. See, it can't have been that sensational then, could it? If that's if that's what happens halfway through your holiday. Oh, dear. Yeah. Poor John. Uh, and now she has to consider who she wants to be with. But, yeah, taking a fella away and pulling while you're there, that's yeah. just not cricket, is it? No. And then John's still waiting, isn't he? He's just hanging on for her to say, yeah, go on then. Yeah. Oh, no. He's trying to be blasé about, oh, he doesn't really care, but he gives up straight away and he says it's eating away at him and he's he's fallen in love with her. Oh. And Ken, of course, is totally disinterested, just in his own little world, worried about his own little problems. And he sort of reveals that he's going under the knife. Yeah. And doesn't really say what, but John's sort of going, oh, oh, I, I didn't realise, you know. And Maggie shows up and she's a bit more chipper than last week, isn't she? She is. <laughs> She's not swearing or shouting at the kids. Thankfully. And when Ken gets gets up to get her a gin and orange from the bar, as well as presumably a lemon squash and scotch and water for him <laughs> and John, Maggie tells John that, that Ken's actually having a vasectomy. No wonder she looks happy. Yeah, she's enjoying it, isn't she? Because yeah. when Ken's getting quite graphic about the procedure... He's going on about like a, a massive syringe and Novocaine and a hypodermic the size of scaffolding pole injected yeah. into him. And she's smiling. She's enjoying it. She is. She is. I think. But given he's a love rat, I mean, you can't love rat. Well, am I like a blue journalist <laughs> for the sun? <laughs> right, dirty den. <laughs> love rat Mark Owen in Three in a Bed Shame. <laughs> don't know where that came from. Oh, right. <laughs> I think I've heard love rat for years. 
I don't think anyone's ever said it out loud until right now. <laughs> it's always just in print. Well, I think, no, it's a good description. He is very much a love rat. A love rat. Ken is only getting this mess set to me. That's not right. <laughs> Ken is only Ken. Vasectomy. to me. Ken's only getting it done for Maggie as she has to come off the pill. Yeah. Which allows Sue Holden to um, deliver some quite, quite a good monologue about previous contraception that she had years ago. She was on the coil and she stood near enough to the radio it would pick up the American Forces Network. That really did, t- it did tickle me, that. And she also t- talks about the Dutch cap and various other contraceptions. Yeah. Now, does this mean that the coil and the Dutch cap weren't very effective in the 80s, or is this just like Ken's got really potent super spunk that bypasses these contraceptives? I think, because she talks about like... um Hormones, doesn't she? She talks about the hormones playing havoc with her, and yeah, I think the, the, the I know lots of people that have got pregnant while on the coil. Right. I say lots, maybe two or three that have got pregnant on a on a contraception contraception where you think, well, that's that's it, that's it's that's started, safe, yeah. it's done, and have, have ended up getting pregnant. Yeah. So maybe she's just yeah worn them all out. She's tried everything, and obviously nothing works. It's a coil like not in, in, even in use. No, no, it is in use, isn't it? It is they call in use. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just different now. I used to always imagine it like a bit of barbed wire. I think it was a Jasper Carrot routine. It's um, it's not the the greatest. And, it, and, and I know there's a, there's a lot of stuff at the moment, and this isn't to do with the podcast, sorry, um, that's around the use of the coil and um, women having to have it inserted and put in without any kind of anaesthetic. And it's it's quite barbaric how they, how they do it. And... Yeah. Women are just expected to just, you know, crack on with it. Just crack on with it. So. Isn't it called a Mourinho or something these days? The, 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 yeah, that's like the, the, the type of, of coil that they use. Is that because he sponsors them or something? <laughs> I think it is, yes. <laughs> the special one. By he Jose. does it for you. He comes around and starts it for you. So I, I understand what, she, what she's saying with regards to, I've done all this. I have tried everything. Yeah. Um, and now it's his turn to do what Fair he enough. needs to do in order to um, to make it so we don't have baby number six. Oh, bloody hell, can you imagine? Oh, dear. Uh, you remember Colin Barnes, our old art teacher? Well, he had it down, there were no after effects. Colin who? Colin Barnes, you remember? Bandy Barnes. <laughs> so, six, five kids, she's had enough. And, yeah. Um, and Ken's not happy and he just doesn't want to have it done. But I think at this point we we fade out to the one-to-one club, don't we? Yes. And Louise is now quizzing John in front of the rest of the group. Oh, I bet she loved that. Yeah, of course she did. Of course she did. Which now consists of Louise, John, Ralph, Sylvia and Kurt because Kate's gone travelling, remember? Yes. And Mrs Arnott is presumably still up in Sheffield. We We just didn't hear anything about her anymore. No. John says that the competition for Liz is actually a friend of Liz's dead husband. Is that right? Her ex-husband who's dead? Yes, Philip is a friend of Liz's late husband, yes. John thinks that she's attracted to his to his wealth. So despite mm. despite the rave reviews that John got for his sexual prowess and the ability to super satisfy Liz with his own super spunk, oh. it's it's Philip's because um, he's got a Merc and a place in Spain, is it, or something? Yeah, I think it is. Apartment in Nice. Ah, right. And Kirk's sort of like, well, she's not going to have much difficulty choosing between John and the fellow <laughs> with a Mercedes. Aww. And Yeah. And then Ralph 
pops up saying, you're like me in a lot of ways, John. <laughs> you're like me in many ways, John. <laughs> I'm not, am I? I like that because Louise is mouthing, no. And Ralph says, the group may be surprised to hear he's not actually very successful with the ladies. And they're sort of like, well, that's not really a surprising news for us to hear. No. But but Ralph thinks perhaps they would have thought that because at first glance, he says, I might appear to be the archetypal playboy, disc jockey, flat in town, a motorcycle combination. Well, he's got it all, he's got it all stacked up there, hasn't he? What more could a girl want? But he hasn't had a date since June the 6th, 1982, which is over five years ago at this point. Mm. And that was a no-show at the Museum of uh, Traction Engines from the 19th century or something. Mm. So what I like it here, though, is that the group are trying to sort of gently make him realise that he's a boring bastard. The way Kirk did that one time as well by talking about telling anecdotes, but but Ralph thought, I just need to talk about losing an umbrella on the bus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a shame, isn't it? You just, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And and Sylvia here is saying, look, try a different technique. Don't talk about the yards and yards of intestines that we all have in our stomachs. Yeah. And things like that. And, and Louise joins in. And she says, at Dr. Osborne's recent party, a swell time was being had by most, and that's alluding to Kirk, who apparently was leading a conga line through the lily pots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But Ralph was boring a lady called Margaret to death with details of the elementary canal. <laughs> See, do you know what, though? I, <laughs> this might just be me, but I do find stuff like that really interesting. I don't like bullshit. I don't like people... Small talk, yeah. Small, I don't like small talk. I don't like just passing the time of day with, with nonsense. I'd be really... Int- if, if you struck up a conversation with me about the digestive system after having just read a book on it, I'd I'd find it quite interesting. I reject that premise entirely because what you have to remember is that some people can make the most interesting topics seem boring and and vice versa. In fact, some people can make the most boring topics seem really interesting and Ralph's delivery and sort of monotonous tone. Yeah. You know, he's not likely to have sold it to you, is he? You're not going to have a scintillating conversation with Ralph about the human anatomy, no matter how much he knows about it, I think. Oh, I just think there's, I just think that there's a woman out there for Ralph. I'd like to think so. Sylvia says that women like a man who can make them laugh, and she follows that up with, "My George could always make me laugh." Mm. And Louise says, "Yes, he's given me a few good chuckles too." Yeah, you have your bitch. <laughs> so yeah, so Ralph's clueless women, and even Kirk's joining in with advice now and saying, "You must always, always take a woman's feelings into consideration." They all nearly fall off the chairs at this stage, don't they? Yeah. You see, a chick needs to be treated with understanding and sensitivity. And if you should ever accidentally hurt her feelings with a careless word or slap, you must realise your mistake and be man enough to admit it. Now, I remember when Lola and I got married. It's at ten to nine. What's there we call it a night? It was the first night of our honeymoon in St Lucia. As we lay in bed in the penthouse suite beneath the black satin sheets, which I'd ordered specially because I knew that Lola liked that sort of thing. She was a... Oh, what's the word? Um, a Satanist. <laughs> a romanticist. 
She turned and told me she was a virgin. I smiled and I said, don't worry, babe, it's curable. <laughs> a few considerate words is all it takes. So as Kirk finishes his anecdote about Lola, he says that she said to him, be gentle with me, Kirky. <laughs> this is brilliant. <laughs> And Ralph just leads it to John and says, be gentle with me, what? (laughs) It was his face as well. It was was so innocent. There was like, there was no edge to that whatsoever. He was just totally thinking that he was missing something that, that, that Kirk had said. As I embraced her, she whispered to me, be gentle with me, Kirky. Be gentle with me, what? Be gentle with me, Kirky. That was a great line. And Louise seems somewhat traumatised by Kirk's latest story here. Because I think he says that he made love to Lola eight times in a night or something, didn't he? And she just stands up and says, that's it. (laughs) See you next week. Yeah, she just did. She's lost all of her cool, didn't she? Yeah, she did. Ends it very abruptly. And then she's begging everyone to go to the pub for a drink and no one's keen and then there's only Kirk left and she's like, yes, I don't think so. Ciao. (laughs) But before she goes, Louise says Kate called her from Greece and uh, apparently she also called John and Ralph too. And they all look over at Kirk who says, oh, I probably missed her as I was out boogieing. Apparently Kate's met a chap over in Greece and Kirk just looks heartbroken, doesn't he, with this news? Yeah. I find it a bit odd that Kate would have called Louise. Do you? It's not very very congruent with the storyline from last week where she didn't discuss even going away with Louise, but there you go. Do you think it was like a pity call? Do you think she knew that, she, that she'd upset Louise by not talking to her about it all? Yeah. So I just gave her a quick, quick bell. That fits, yeah. Now, before she departs, Louise gives John a quick pep talk, telling him not to mope about all weekend thinking about Liz. But when we're back at John's flat, John mm-hmm. is there, basically, in the corridor, in the hallway, looking at the phone, willing it to ring, isn't he? Yeah. And uh, he's monologuing, of course, because he's the only one in the scene. He's monologuing an anecdote about going away with Wendy, and they were just about to go to bed in the throes of passion when the Ali-Joe Frazier fight came on the box, and he had to watch it. And the punchline of that being, I'll never marry a woman again who likes boxing. Meaning she made him watch the fight. Yeah. I don't think it would have landed that well if it was being told between characters, but certainly as a monologue to no one in particular. Yeah. Not a great line. No, it wasn't. And then Kirk shows up in the doorway of John's flat. This is the first time we've seen John have visitors other than Ken, isn't it, I think? Yeah. Ken and Liz. He's never had anybody else from the one-to-one club. Oh, no, he had to... Oh, Kate, he had Kate round. Yeah, Kate, yeah. So ignore that completely. He's had loads of visitors. Yeah. He's... <laughs> it's just a long line of uh, visitors. She's just. Uh... This is why we get reviews saying we, we don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> they don't know anything. But Kirk's brought a tequila with him and he, he announces, as, as soon as he comes in, he says, this place has got character. It's got the character of a dump. <laughs> <laughs> Which is reminiscent of... Bloody hell, Ralph, you dreadful kitchen. <laughs> He's equally critical of John's room when he goes in. He's banging on about how small the room is. 
like a reverse TARDIS. Yeah. And he, he cracks open the tequila. John isn't drinking any. He's not keen. He wants to keep a clear head. And uh, Kirk tells John he's a namby-pamby little liberal. Mm. And that what he should have done is slugged Philip for chatting up his chick. So I guess if Will Smith is uh, guilty of toxic masculinity at the Oscars, God knows what you'd classify Kirk as yeah. in the 80s. John says that wouldn't have helped as well, which I kind of... No, which is true. It's true. Violence is never the answer. But I just feel like John didn't do enough. He didn't do enough to keep Philip away. He's just let him... He's literally let him take his girl. Hmm. And then weirdly, Kirk goes into a paralytic state very, very quickly. Like, literally after one shot to kill him. Yeah. He's all over the show, isn't he? Hmm. And he's, he's crying to John, saying, Kate doesn't want to know me. Our little tiger can't even be bothered to ring me. Aww. He's worried that she's away being wooed and plied with aphrodisiacs and falling in love with Greek men on fishing boats. <laughs> and this is where he, he shares his uh, the Kirk St. Moritz philosophy with John. He says, life is a cabaret, old chum, but love is a bum rap. Aww. And then he just basically starts weeping. So it's quite quite dark really and then he just cuts to later on and we think he's obviously gotten rid of Kirk it later turns out he's upstairs being sick I think in the bathroom <laughs> but, uh, he's back in his hallway John staring at the phone again oh is it the phone again it to ring yeah mm. there's a really awkward scene with the telephone engineer who yeah. appears and he's John thinks someone's coming to use the phone so he picks it up and starts pretending to have a conversation and the guy won't go away and starts fixing the phone while John's pretending to have a phone call. Oh, it's embarrassing. See, yeah, it's very cringe. But then it was quite, quite a good line when he says, I'll phone you back. And <laughs> puts it down. Puts it down. Yeah. Because yeah. he's in an elevated position, this BT engineer. He can see a dark-haired lady coming, approaching towards the door from the outside. Who is it? Yeah, we're, we're expecting it to be Liz, but of course when John answers it, it's Louise. She even does that turned away thing at the door. So you, you, you could even yeah. think, oh, it is, it's her. Oh, it's Liz, she's here. Brilliant. No, it's not. It's Louise. And she's only turned up because she wants an update on the Liz situation. I mean, she's you know, salacious gossip is all she wants. Yes. But she's quickly distracted by the BT engineer because she's flirting outrageously with this chap just because he's single and got a penis, I think. Yeah. So his name's Alan, I think. She says to Alan... That she's a counsellor. Now, I don't think we knew that at that point. We didn't know that was her actual job, did we? That she was a, a counsellor of divorcees and estranged relationships. No, I just thought she was the group group leader. Hmm. But that's actually what she does for a living, which is horrendous. It think. is, isn't it? God, that's, that's <laughs> crossing a lot of lines, I think, isn't it? Well, she then invites Alan, the engineer, into John's flat to drink the remnants of Kirk's tequila that she's just found. <laughs> And I thought she was going to shut the door on John and leave him in the corridor, like shut out of his own very <laughs> small room. Yeah. Yeah. But no, then the phone goes and it's Ken. And this is kind of unnecessary, this little scene, but Ken's post-op and he's he's telling John all about his bruising of his of his plums. Plums. I think, I think he even uses the word plums, doesn't he? John, quite rightly, hasn't got time for any of his self-pity and shite. He just tells him to bog off and hangs yeah. up, which is good on you, John. And then we cut to later that night, I assume, and the phone is actually ringing finally out in the corridor. And John stumbles out, looks like he's just woken up, doesn't he? And he yeah, he answers the phone, and it's finally Liz. And 
she's giving him his P45, isn't she? She is. She's dumping him. Yeah. And this is how it ends. John hangs up, goes back inside his very small, miserable room, shuts the door, and we just hear the sound of him banging his head against the wall. And then theme tune. Seems we've sung love's last song, dear John. I was dead shocked that that was the end of the episode. It really didn't mm. end on a on a note that makes me feel comfortable. Well, given the previous episode, he was everything was looking up for John, and we were celebrating that, yeah. weren't we? This is really a dark ending, and also Kirk getting blind drunk on the tequila, and that's pretty dark too. We've talked about how this isn't actually a, a depressing sitcom per se, even no. though in our memories it's sort of because it was about divorcees. Yeah, this episode books that trend. I think it. I think it really is a quite a maudlin episode. Yeah. Can you imagine watching it sort of in the 80s and that be... You wouldn't be satisfied, now with that as an ending, I don't think. No, and it's unusual for John Sullivan yeah. ending as well. They're usually very cleverly wrapped up. They're like really well-crafted endings that leave you yeah. quite satisfied. Satisfied. It was an unsatisfactory ending, I think. I think they could have done more with his relationship with Liz. Yeah. I mean, even if it was destined to end, they could have done more with it than her never showing up again because we just don't see her in this episode. Yeah. But there you go. Did you have anything else to talk about? My only other thing of note was John and Ken boozing at lunchtime during the school During the school during day. The school day. <laughs> at I, the I, beginning of the episode. I don't think that that was unheard of during the 80s with teachers yeah, and, um, and boozing, especially on a Friday when they'd all just pile in the pub. True. What about bric-a-brac? Did you pick any out? I did. I did. I had... For my bric-a-brac this week, um, behind the bar at the opening of the episode, there was yeah. a pottery shire horse. I did notice that, yeah. yeah. There's some interesting little knickknacks in that pub, isn't there? Oh, I bet it's dusty in there. Mm. I bet they're dusty knickknacks then. I can actually smell it, that pub, just by looking at it. If you, if you scratch that pottery shire horse, I bet there's layers of just nicotine and dust and more nicotine and grease and all sorts mm. of muck. Nice. Lovely, lovely grease. Yep. Chip fat. Ooh. Chip fat. Oh yeah. Um and my other oh my other bric a brac again was it was a verbal bric a brac. Hmm. Philip gets described as all Pierre Cardin and American Express. Which is a double whammy of eighties in, in one go there, I think. Amex isn't specifically eighties, is it? When I think about, yeah, I think I think about the you know the, the American Express, the, the machine that you before you before you just like tap your card yeah. like you do now, and they had that machine in the eighties where you put your card on and you had to go. I oh, would swipe the, through it, yeah, and swipe through it, and then you had to sign like a paper thing. Yeah. Um, so that that just reminds me of of, of the eighties, and Pierre Cardin was like every every bit of luggage that anybody had that was a bit fancy. I think my dad had a Pierre Cardin. Did he? Oh. Yeah, I think so. Oh, well to do. <laughs> yeah. He travelled a lot, so. Do you know who was the first user of an ATM machine? Just talking about oh, bank cards I and stuff. I do know this. I do know this. Uh, Cripes, who was it? It's sitcom related. It is. Was it Reg Varney? Correct, yeah. Reg Varney. <laughs> was it? <laughs> yeah. I think it was Enfield which is where he was from. And right. he, on the buses was on the telly at the time. 
and Barclays Bank invited him to open the first ATM. And there's lots of pictures of him doing his usual sort of cheeky, cockney, gurning grin with a bank card, not knowing what to do with it. <laughs> you must have felt like you were playing the machines and winning. I bet someone on the other side just like posted notes through. I bet it wasn't. I bet it wasn't like automated. I bet it was just someone pushing pushing cash through a hole. That sounds a bit like the moon landings conspiracy, but okay, we'll go with it. <laughs> um, I had one piece of bric-a-brac, which was technically fashion, but... Uh, okay. Do you know the lady who came downstairs to use the phone and John directed her out into the street? Yes. She had the most mullety-looking mullet I've ever seen in my life. Oh, she did woman. have a mullet. She did. It was very short around the sides, weren't it? Yeah, it was, it was an awful mullet. It was, yeah. I mean, mullets were bad anyway, but generally they were seen on men in the 80s, I think. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. But they're, they're making a big comeback. In fact, in in Spain, we've just been we've just been to Spain, and there was a a group of three. I think they were German lads, right. maybe sort of like late teens, early twenties, who all had das mullet. Yeah, <laughs> they 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 had mustaches. They had they looked like they'd stepped out of a time machine from nineteen eighty three. They sound like Rudy Voller from the West Germany 1990. Curly mullets, mustaches, um, sports socks pulled up, Ugh. sliders on the feet, proper, like authentic. Honestly, if, you, really? if you'd have woke up and you, you could have been thought you were in some kind of um, 1980s fever dream that you'd gone back in time. You didn't stumble through Gary Sparrow's alleyway, did you, on your way to the airport? <laughs> no, I didn't. Good. But it was it was it was a definite wow. That's I didn't realise that I'd, it, it was it was so prevalent. It was such a modern trend again. Yeah, and they, these were like trendy kids. They were like totally trendy kids. Well, maybe they just were in their own minds. I don't know. I think I think they look cool. I think they they look, they look cool. Well, on that note, then we might as well have a trip to Fashion Corner, might we, and have a look at, in more depth. Let's do that. Yeah, Fashion, fashion corner, corner, Fashion, fashion corner. corner, Fashion Corner, Fashion Corner. corner. Okay, it's not massively extensive this week. However, I wanted to make a special mention in the opening of Fashion Corner of Ken's olive green military jacket that he had on in in the in the pub scene right at the beginning. This is like um, I tried to sort of look up what what it, what it was called, and it, and it is just referred to as a military jacket. Right. But it, it kind of made me think of mid nineties. The Verve kind of look. Oh yeah, yeah. So for the eight, I don't know. I don't know if in the eighties this was a this was like a popular popular sort of style, but it, it felt more of a nineties style or or a way back in time sixties style. So yeah, I thought he looked quite good in it though that jacket. Yeah, and it and it didn't sort of you know like some of the the fashions stick out like a sore thumb when you look at. I know we, we, we say now that all fashion. Is, is relevant, isn't it? And, and there's no real, like, oh, that looks out of date, or that, that doesn't look right, because people can wear whatever they, they, they choose to now, and, and, and they do, but um, this this sort of stuck out as being too modern. It just felt a bit too modern for 1987. Right, okay. Does that make sense? Louise, in the, the, the scene of the one-to-one club, had a pale pastel purple knitted blouse, with, and it had, like, beading around the neckline, and black butterfly and leaf motifs across the body and the arms. Lots of beading. 
Yeah. Like I've mentioned the beading, but there's a lot of beading going on. And it's and it's one of them tops. It's a, it's a definite mum top, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it looked awful, to be honest, for me. But yeah. I don't mean for me in like a Sylvia's husband way. <laughs> I wasn't going to dress up. Not going to put it on. No, no. But it had the three-quarter length sleeves as well with the pushed-up Miami Vice-style sleevage going on. Of course, very 80s. Uh, Sylvia in a mulberry red skirt suit and floral patterned blouse. And I like the fact that Sylvia seems to accessorise whatever she's got on. So she had like a flower clip in the side of her hair in, in navy, which was quite sweet. Mm. And I think all of other characters, we've, it's all reminiscent. We've, all, we've seen it all before. Yeah, a little bit. John doesn't change yeah. from episode to episode, really, does he? No. He had his, um, he had his I think we've mentioned it previously, he had his rusty-coloured teacher jacket on at the beginning with the patches on the elbows and yeah he's, he's, he's got like a, a, a Barbara and Tom Good wardrobe really hasn't he it just sort of it becomes functional and we don't really see much of a change yeah for the same reason that he's no. got no money so he can't afford to be buying lots of new and interesting clothes in the same way that Louise she's probably the Margot of this series yes. isn't she yeah yeah. It gives her some kind of um, stature, doesn't it? The fact that she has different different items of clothing on each week. And talking to Margot and in the previous series that we've done, it's coming towards that time now. We've only two episodes of Dear John left that we need to pick a successor and something to focus on in series four and series five, really. So just get your suggestions in to us on any of our channels, our social media channels, or email them to us at sadopodcast.gmail.com. You can also visit our website, sado.club, and sign up to the newsletter there, do the quizzes, or read our blog posts. Do you know what next week's episode is, Al? It's Once Bitten. Mm. We see John in, in, in line for a promotion. Oh, this could be quite exciting for John. Yes, I seem to remember there's other teachers in this one. Mm. And there's a, the prospect of, of meeting a lovely young woman, apparently. Mm. So join us for that one next week. While you were doing the fashion thing, I just pulled up the um, the Ari H. Corbett post to see what was written on that. What does it say? Shame it's the wrong Harry Corbett. Oh. He was known as Harry H. Corbett. <laughs> Get your fucking facts right, mate. That's really abusive, <laughs> isn't it? This Harry Corbett was famous for Sutty, and like the picture is is of Harry Corbett with Sutty. It's like no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> You've got the wrong picture. I'm not laughing. Is this supposed to be a joke? <laughs> so, like I say, send us your examples of people who just get upset about the weirdest things. And other than that, we'll see you next week. I'll see thee before you <laughs> get in and bloody do it. <laughs> I'll see thee as well then. Fair enough. Dear John, dear John, by the time you read this line, Gone. Life goes on, right or wrong. Now it's all been said and done, dear John. Seems we've sung love's last song, dear John. got absolutely nothing to do with dear john but did you know that colonel gaddafi was bummed to death with scaffolding is this a really sick joke or is that true no that's true 
when he was uh, out in, <laughs> it's not, well, it's not a laughing matter being bummed to death by scaffolding. I'm not laughing at that. <laughs> <laughs> it, when he was um, out and about, when he was out and about, you know, when, <laughs> when the coup happened, <laughs> he's out and about and he just got bummed to death with the scaffolding. He was ousted and then he was running away, fearing for his life, and they caught up with him and they bummed him to death with scaffolding, his own people. Wow. A little factoid for you there. Brought to you this week by Bumming. That will definitely get us a, a one-star review. Yeah, that's not something that gets you the echelons of five stars. No, say goodbye to being featured on Apple Podcasts this week. Oh, cripes. That must have stolen. Um, yeah, yeah.